Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to this new edition of Mind Podcast. This is Adit Kapadia and together joining with me, a uh, special guest, Mind columnist, fellow podcast um, panelist and uh, co-host of the podcast India Rising with uh, Mohal and Kishore, the um, Kishore Narayan uh, joining me from Bangalore. Uh, Kishore, welcome to Mind Podcast again. Thank you, Adit. Thank you for having me. Uh, and and uh, uh, our listeners may note that this was not published on Sunday. This was not recorded on Sunday because specifically we were waiting for the Karnataka bipolar results to come. I had already uh, flagged Kishore on my public uh, my, as you know, on a public tweet, as Kishore might remember, that he'll be tracking it closely because certainly this is. This was one of the unique bipoles. I would almost put it at par with the Tamil Nadu bipole that happened along with the Lok Sabha elections, where twenty-two uh, seats I think went to polls, and it, it pretty much the re- the fate of the state government rest, uh, rested on these bipoles. So, before I come to Kishore uh, to give you a, a, a sort of uh, um, perspective on this, fifteen seats went to polls. BJP uh, swept uh, 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 the results, winning twelve out of the fifteen. Um, with this win, BJP's tally rose to one hundred and eighteen, which also includes the support of an independent MLA. And they need one hundred and twelve uh, seats, I believe, in the Karnataka, or one hundred and thirteen seats in the Karnataka Assembly. So this puts in uh, uh, f- comfortably uh, uh, above majority. And finally, after sort of months of indecision, uh, you know, we can say uh, B S Yadurappa will be the Chief Minister of Karnataka till um, for at least four more years. Now, uh, is that safe? Is that a safe conclusion, Kishore? Uh- Indeed, indeed. I think uh, uh, the biggest takeaway here is uh, uh, Yadurappa winning this bipolar hands down. Uh, he has shown who is the boss, both in Karnataka, uh, among all, among all the regions, among all the uh, different social groups, and also he has shown to Delhi who the boss is out mm-hmm. here in Bengaluru. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Yeah, but. Yeah, uh, but uh, Adit, I want to go back to uh, four or five months ago when Yadurappa became the chief minister, and uh, we both were talking uh, yes. uh, on on one such edition of the podcast. Mm. And I had made uh, three claims. Mm. I said uh, uh, JDS is a goner now. JDS in its current form or in current shape, Janta experiment is a dead is a dead experiment now. Uh, I think the bipoles have uh, proven us right, Absolutely. and uh, I had told that it was Sidramaya who had actually triggered this uh, new uh, operation Kamala, hmm. and uh, all his all his uh, MLA friends who deserted Congress and had gone to BJP have won now, hmm. and uh, they all will get plump posts uh, in the new cabinet whenever they. Expansion happens, mm. and the third one was uh, how uh, Yadurappa himself was ever so close to uh, gaining the uh, halfway mark, uh, reaching the halfway mark. He has not only reached the halfway mark, he has crossed it, and uh, we we still have two more assembly segments for which voting needs to be done. Uh, mine included. I'll have to vote uh, whenever the by-election happens. Mm. So right now, the strength of the assembly is 222, mm. and in 222, uh, BJP has a, a 
fairly good number so no, and, and, uh, i don't think i don't think there's any danger assume, there is it safe to assume uh, kishore that because um, uh, there of course two assembly seats will go to polls which the bjp is likely to pick up um, mm-hmm. so the bjp strength then goes up to 120 that is almost seven more than what's required um, and um, say in the few coming by elections tented i mean usually the by elections always go towards the ruling party and considering how uh, the performance of the B- central bjp has been very strong you know and we're going to talk about the citizen amendment bill in a bit um because that too has had positive impact on that is it safe to assume that the position of bjp will is only set to get stronger uh, in the months to come you mean in the state of karnataka in the state of karnataka in the state assembly oh yes yes uh, bjp can only uh, grow from strength to strength mm-hmm. there were a lot of areas within the state where bjp was not a yeah. uh, powerful entity mm-hmm. and bjp has breached all those yesterday uh, mm-hmm. the district of chikpalapura the district of uh, mandya yeah. uh, chikpalapura for our listeners who might not know was m irappa moili seat and he lost it this time in the Uh, general elections actually that was a seat where even kishore and i weren't sure if bjp is going to win it or not but they won it comfortably in the end comfortably and actually uh, that was one possibility for rahul gandhi to contest mm. but then uh, probably rahul gandhi knew better that he cannot win anyway but, but even so, something like even something like a kolhar right for our uh, film aficionados <coughs> that's where the movie kolhar goldfields is set or kgf in case you're wondering but uh, am i i'm right right i i, I didn't just make that yeah, up yeah. Uh, okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> just making sure uh, i heard silence from kishore he's like look at this guy from gujarat talking about karnataka with such certitude <laughs> so no, you know a lot about karnataka so nahi bhai quite... this is see the best part the best way to know elections in uh, best way to know india is track elections you get to know so much when you look at districts and stuff but um, kolar is a strong congress stronghold um, as was uh, uh, in the old mysore belt region which was the jds stronghold and the reason i say congress stronghold because this time congress jds was in alliance so people were uh, saying they would uh, pick it up but on mindmakers kishore wrote a series of pieces where he analyzed old mysore and he I mean, he pretty much got it down to the uh, to the T, where he said both Tumkur and Mandya BJP would win, and in Mandya Sumalata would win, uh, who was an independent backed by BJP, and Hassan, of course, uh, the, is the Gowda family seat. So that was like Rai Bareilly Amethi, where uh, you know uh, Amethi BJP went, but Rai Bareilly was retained by the Congress. Similarly, Hassan was retained by JDS. Exactly, exactly. And the other claim that we had done, uh, we had made uh, four months ago, was that BJP would not dismiss the assembly and would not go for a uh, midterm election. And uh, the reason was that uh, the uh, party workers were all uh, fatigued after back-to-back elections. Mm. So uh, the bipolar are now a reflection of that. Uh, BJP wants a sta- wants to give a stable government. Yadurappa wants to do that. Mm. He has already passed the seventy-five. he knows that this is the only chance that he will get to give a uh, stable and a fair governance uh, to the people something that he has always wanted to do but has never uh, uh, gotten a good amount of time to do that so mm-hmm. i think the next 3 and a half years is yadurappa's legacy now 
Oh, absolutely, absolutely. The, and the unfortunate part is, Mr. Yadurappa, although you know, never got a full term as the CM of Karnataka. Uh, every time something or the other happened, and his term was cut short. Here, he got a head start, but then Kumaraswamy was the CM for a year, so he will end up getting only about four years, as or three and a half years as CM. Three and a half now, yeah. So uh, I think I think that uh, that is something that Yadurappa will have to live with. But I don't think he'll uh, he'll have much to complain about uh, since uh, he is now a four-time chief minister, and that in itself is a record. And I think uh, Yadurappa will uh, just focus on governance and nothing else. He will not be bothered about what happens in New Delhi, what Modi thinks about him, what Amit Shah thinks about him. He will just put his head down and no, but focus on delivering what he wants. No, I'll tell you this thing. I think this was this this is a clear indication, uh, Kishore, that uh, Mr. Yadurappa was given like a, a free hand from Delhi. This, I mean, I don't think there was any sort of interference on of this from Delhi. And see, Delhi has sort of sort of balanced that power equation with Yadurappa. Uh, yes, the operation Kamala was actually a clear indicator of that. Modi and Amit Shah did not want. Uh, that to happen, uh, Amit Shah did not come down to Bengaluru for the oath-taking ceremony. Modi did not congratulate him in a tweet, uh, just like how he does to every other mm-hmm. chief minister, irrespective of the party. But then they they were silent and they. Uh, but boss, that could be that, no. That could be a strategy also. Uh, I I don't think I don't think people in Karnataka agree to that view really? that it was a strategy. Maybe. Maybe uh, people think that uh, uh, Modi and Amit Shah were not uh, fully happy with the way Operation Kamala panned out. Hmm. But now I think uh, Modi and Amit Shah will uh, have to agree that it was a good strategy uh, overall. Uh, looking at no, it, no, in I, I, think, I think being a state, uh, being a chief minister once, or uh, you know, as we say, satrap once, uh, mm-hmm. Prime Minister Narendra Modi knows the value of you know uh, a mass leader um, uh, setting his strategy. So I think that's settled. I think, and, and plus the, the by-election campaign happened and stuff. It was interesting. What was interesting is this also means sort of the uh, both Sidharamayya and Gundu Rao, uh, Dinesh Gundu Rao resigned, and uh, this was also a back, uh, setback for uh, D K Sivakumar, who was being projected as some sort of the and since he has been in the news as the Sharad Pawar of Karnataka. You know the way Sharad Pawar is being projected right now. Right. And actually, the uh, comparison is on point in terms of when you look at the personal wealth and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll go with Sidramaya first. Uh, Sidramaya has made too many enemies in the past uh, uh, eight, nine years that he has been at the top. Uh, I don't think uh, there are many friends left uh, to cheer for him. So I think his political career uh, is now way past its peak. It is only on the downslide now. Uh, so we might uh, stop hearing about him uh, at least in the national media. Hmm. Dinesh Gundera was never a mass leader. Uh, hmm. He was a compromise candidate to head the KPCC. Hmm. Uh, he has now uh, gone aside. So I think uh, that's not a big deal. Hmm. D.K. Shukumar actually uh, was asked by all the Congress candidates to come and uh, canvas for them. Uh, D.K. She refused. Uh, he knew that the right. He knew the writing on the wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did not come down to uh, canvas for them. Hardly one or two uh, seats, if I may be uh, correct on that. And uh, now uh, DKC will actually look at uh, trying to get the uh, 
plum capacity president post. Hmm. Uh, there are only two front runners for that after Sidramaya has resigned. One is Malikajan Kharge, hmm. two DK Shukumar. Malikajan Kharge has spent too much of his life in New Delhi. I don't think he will find his bearing in Bengaluru. He is not even a Bengaluru person. Hmm. He is out there in the northern tip of Karnataka. So I His think he will find it. Gulbarga, yeah. So I, I, I doubt if he'll find it uh, easy going in Bengaluru, if at all he comes down. Mm-hmm. I don't think he is coming down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think uh, DKC will find this to be the right chance for him. He might want to be, uh, he might want to play the role of a constructive opposition for three, three and a half years. Mm-hmm. Exactly do what uh, Sidramaya did. Uh, when Yadurapa was the chief minister earlier and mm. when he went to jail and all that. So I think uh, DKC will want to do that, use the same template, apply the same formula, be in the people, be amidst the people for three, three and a half years and then try to snatch power from BJP. I think that may be his long-term strategy and in doing so, he might want to get rid of a few enemies from within the party and uh, DKC Kumar was uh, very powerful to do exactly that. He can take care of his enemies. Hmm. Fascinating. So, I, I, I mean, this is this is the this is the interesting part, right? By the way, you know, when we talk about stable governments and stable CMs, um, we completing full terms. We right now these days we see a lot of uh, uh, chief ministers lasting out their full terms. But as somebody who, who has seen politics in the nineties, as as you, Kishore, this was not a norm. I mean, certainly not in Karnataka, and neither in my state of Gujarat. The first, oh yes, uh, ever since right. I was born, the first five-year term I saw completed by a, a chief minister was uh, Narendra Modi from December two thousand two to December two thousand seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's uh, that's very similar uh, in uh, the state of Karnataka as well. Yeah. We don't, uh, we have not seen uh, stable governments. Or even if we have seen stable governments, we have not had the same chief minister from the term beginning to the term ending. Yeah. So, yes, that... And uh, another uh, thing, yeah, and that's what I say. I mean, even the current CM of uh, Gujarat, Vijay Rupani, who, who won an mm-hmm. election, I think he's been there for more than three and a half years. So people don't understand. This is if if he's around for 100 more days, which he will be. I mean, to, like it will be more than what Keshubhai Patel served in his second term. And if it's more than 1500 days or like one more year or goes on, he'll probably be one of the longest serving chief ministers of Gujarat in the last 25 years. And people are complaining about Rupani not being a mass leader. See, this is the thing that when you had a, see, before Narendra Modi came as the Gujarat chief minister, Gujarat did not have such a mass leader whose acceptance was across Gujarat for a long time. Right, you had uh, you had leader, and, and this is the case in in Maharashtra also in in a lot of states when uh, when they say Sharad Pawar Sharad Pawar has never gotten more than seventy seats, and he only gets it from his Western Maharashtra, and then some Tikadami does in Mumbai and stuff. Yes, Fadnavis was actually probably one of the first mass leaders of Maharashtra, and if you look at the history of Maharashtra uh, politics in the last um, sort of 25-30 years. Uh, especially since 1995, because that's when the Congress and CP, after that Congress and CP split happened and BJP is in a, BJP in consecutive elections has probably gotten the most amount of seats as a single largest party amongst all the four parties. Yet, yet they start portraying like BJP is supposedly losing and stuff. So, 
it's it's interesting you know how public memory is very short when it comes to politics i think yeah i think i think political stability is a very under spoken under uh, discussed uh, term in indian politics in the past 15 years hmm. shila dikshit three terms digvijay uh, singh two terms i'm deliberately taking the names of non bjp chief minister no, and after after digvijay no, no, two terms you had uh, uma bharti is short term but shivraj singh chauhan for three terms exactly that's my point so basically the point is that people now really uh, want stability not only at the national level but also at the state level because they do realize that uh, development cannot happen uh, in just 3 months or 4 months after all rome was not built in a day so people now do understand that stability is primary for uh, for their own good and that is the reason why they really back Uh, a good chief minister if if they find him to be performing they don't mind voting again for him yeah and and make no mistake i don't think this this by elections where a vote on the personalities of the mlas this was a clear vote for mr yediyurappa similar to yes. what we saw in maharashtra and uh, that's why i was uh, smiling um, uh, seeing mr fadnavis's reaction because he was completely justified in saying that his mandate also was for a bjp sena government and had by elections taken place or re elections taken place he would have come back to power in the same way but um, i guess that's that ends our segment on karnataka kishore is writing a piece on this so you would be seeing that um, piece on it uh, soon right kishore i'm promising that to our listeners so in a couple oh, of indeed, days indeed. yes you will have it Absolutely. very quickly perfect and <clears throat> we are also covering jharkhand uh, my good friend shwetang bhushan is uh, working on a series of jhar for jharkhand so you're going to have a power packed lineup on mind right now we have one uh, one long piece a 2500 word piece on the citizen amendment bill which is everything you need to know then we have a piece on uh, the uk elections and a british indian saying why he is never going to vote for the labor or why he is not going to vote for the labor we are going to have one on karnataka and one on jharkhand Mindmakers is your destination to get all your current affairs and political news. Sorry for that absolutely shameless plug, but I had to do it. <laughs> but let's go to the citizenship amendment bill then, um, uh, Kishore. Uh, uh, do you want to give a background of what happened in the Lok Sabha yesterday? It passed at twelve o'clock in the night. Democracy was in action. Home Minister Amit Shah spoke for what seemed hours and hours, and with you know great vigor and gusto. Gusto. Oh yes, and uh, and uh, taking all attacks on the chin and uh, replying back to them with equal vigor. Mm. I think Amit Shah was in full glory yesterday. Uh, he led from the front. He wanted to drive home the point that this was not a uh, anti-Muslim uh, amendment or an anti-Muslim bill. And I think he kind of uh, drove home the point, trying to explain to everybody that uh, this was meant only to. provide citizenship to persecuted minorities from the three countries that uh, he pointed out pakistan afghanistan and hmm. bangladesh hmm. so let's right. let, so, let's get some perspective here right so first mm-hmm. basically mm-hmm. the provision was essentially stating that hindus buddhists sikhs christians parsis and jains from pakistan bangladesh and afghanistan will not be considered as illegal migrants it basically reduces the period of minimum stay needed to qualify you know for application of the citizenship and so forth and interline permit areas will be excluded these were the crux of the uh, arguments correct i'm reading from a piece that uh, was published on mindmakers so uh, which talks in detail about this but essentially this is the crux and the charge the opposition was made making was that some, somehow this was uh, uh, anti muslim 
I mean, I, I don't understand. It, how would the, how is this anti-Muslim? And it cannot be simply because uh, uh, Islam is the official state religion of the three countries. Yeah. So no Muslim will be persecuted in Pakistan, uh, in Afghanistan, or in Bangladesh. It cannot happen. Hmm. No, what 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 was hilarious was it was saying it was discriminating the Muslims living in India. Absolutely not, and that is the exact uh, lie that. Uh, uh, Amit Shah was puncturing hole through the day. Yeah. That argument was a falsity and uh, Amit Shah showed mirror to all the opposition MPs. Yeah, Amit Shah is very clear. Uh, alleged South mm-hmm. Asian columnist who writes for Wall Street Journal uh, uh, saying that uh, basically what they do is they read five pieces which are in New York Times, Washington Post, something, reiterate them and then reconvince that whatever their flawed thinking was is absolutely correct. <laughs> Take a paragraph from, from one article, take another para- paragraph from another article and you have a yeah, brand new New Yorker article. It yeah. isn't a majoritarian project and I don't even think it's except in two-nation theory. Hmm. So, right. <laughs> so I mean, so right and, and by the way, if you guys want to really know about two-nation theory, then read about Sir Syed Ahmed Khan. Um, another piece proudly published on mine which we just tweeted today because I'm, I was getting tired of people uh, talking about two-nation theory and stuff like that. I think that what the core assumption is that the countries which were formed having Islam as the state religion will not uh, 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 you know, persecute Muslims and there is overwhelming evidence that Hindus, Buddhists, you know, Sikhs have been persecuted in these countries. And, and uh, even even before to the 1971 war and after that, we have had enough number of uh, refugees coming over and their numbers only keep increasing uh, every year. So I think... I think uh, we, forget, we forget, Kishore, that we have mm-hmm. grown up uh, listening to the news of the Taliban telling Afghani Hindus to wear a certain piece of cloth uh, which told that they were not Muslim in 2001. But a lot of people had no idea. So I saw people on the timeline when Amit Shah stated the instance saying, Aray, uh, when was this and stuff? So I, I tweeted out the link that, bhai, this is this is what it is. He is not just making up some facts. Uh, your Guardian, New York Times, everyone had this uh, thing that it, there was a fatwa issue that non-Muslims have to have this certain cloth, um, have to have certain markings. You know, so it, it is it is completely um, bizarre, the opposition and stuff. And my joke was that when they are doing the whole division of the vote, they were actually trying to show how historically, um, you know, blunder, how they historically blundered. Ultimately, the bill was passed by some 312 to 80 or something like that. And that's when a lot, more than 150 members were absent or more than 140 members were absent. So... Um, uh, so that, but but hold your thought on this, Kishore, because in our next segment, what I want to do is I want to expand this discussion and take, you know, talk about a lot of how uh, other criticisms were leveled and how bogus they were, and then we'll end with a discussion on what happened in Unnao and Hyderabad, the ghastly rape incident. So uh, stay tuned. That'll be in part two of the podcast, guys. So, um, so citizenship amendment bill had this, uh, you know, Amit Shah summed up the dichotomy of uh, all this beautifully, where he said that Congress is so secular that it allies with Shiv Sena in Maharashtra and Muslim League in Kerala. And <laughs> that sums it up, which by the way, Shiv Sena voted for the citizenship amendment bill. So, Kishore, what I wanted to ask you is give me your initial thoughts, give me a perspective on what do you think the, uh, the, flaw, the flaws are in the attacks of the opposition or if there are any merits that you see, and what is the way forward? Uh, the flaw is obvious. Uh, we are not talking about any religious exclusion here. 
uh, it is only about selective inclusion so there is a clear difference between uh, exclusion and selective inclusion and people need to be very clear about this that's one flaw another flaw is uh, they keep claiming that uh, the muslims within the country will be rendered stateless which is actually not the case these people were wrongly uh, granted citizenship and that that wrong is being corrected now so i think that is the way it should be looked at and not as if uh, muslims within the country are being rendered stateless so i think that's another flaw uh, however i find just one or two merits in the opposition uh, argument if i may uh, one is what happens to the hindu from uh, bhutan the hindu nepali from bhutan remember there they are a small number but they are persecuted within bhutan then what happens to the uh, hindu from uh, myanmar who escaped the rohingya atrocities mm. and then also what happens to the tamils from uh, sri lanka both mm. the hindu tamils and the christian tamils mm. who have already come down to india uh, and are living in shelters across mm. tamil nadu primarily and uh, in karnataka as well so uh, i think that's one very very valid point and i don't think uh, the india government actually has a proper answer to that but i think over a period of time probably another uh, small amendment may be brought into this bill <coughs> to no, include those as well it still hasn't gone through the rajya sabha let's see what the rajya sabha debates the government <coughs> doesn't have all yes. the numbers in the rajya sabha so uh, certainly we have to we have to see what what happens but i'll tell you this though i think principally it's a good idea but um, the everybody has variations and stuff and i think the government wants to accommodate those so maybe in the ways to go forward it will be accommodated it isn't perfect by any stretch of imagination but it is a law that Correct. was much needed much needed indeed and uh, the opposition keeps pointing out about the uh, ahmadiyya or the bohra uh, muslims who might be persecuted in pakistan mm-hmm. and uh, what happens to them won't they be granted citizenship now therein lies the dichotomy all these years the opposition was actually uh, uh, whitewashing uh, this kind of atrocity that was happening mm-hmm. and any time uh, bjp or nda would point out the sectarian conflict within pakistan or afghanistan mm-hmm. uh, the uh, opposition party would actually brush brush them under the carpet but suddenly uh, they are now in love with the ahmadiyas and the and the other uh, persecuted uh, micro minorities <laughs> ियन or i might be wrong with the military terminology but that group actually fought against india mm. um, so i think i think their loyalty is very clear they know where they belong and no, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, no it's not about the, that also i think it's two two different facts that need to be pointed out that one yes ahmadiyya mm-hmm. they are being persecuted highlight them have reports publish them if they come to india assist them and you know to take a, every case merit by merit but The, the the fact that they did choose pakistan is a fact i mean you can't just brush yes. it under the carpet 
ಇಂಡಿಯಾಸಿಯಾಸಿಯಾಸಿಯಾಸಿಯಾಸಿಯಾಸಿಯಾಸಿಯಾಸಿಯಾಸಿಯಾಸಿಯಾಸಿಯ
and i would like to forget Agreed. all the viciousness from the last 5 years i know it's hard to forget some of the statements were very bad unwarranted um not not worthy of him yet what has said has been said but that picture was a heartwarming picture indeed i think i think uh, uh, thaw may be a little too early too soon uh, right now but i no, think uh, my even otherwise uh, okay okay but i think uh, arun shori has a lot to offer in yeah. terms of his uh, thinking abilities uh, irrespective of which uh, side of the political debate uh, he wants to associate himself in the next uh, few years but i think uh, his camaraderie with uh, modi was very evident in those pictures and modi himself uh, sitting in that plastic chair um, uh, irrespective of i mean not not caring that uh, he no, was and he was the, as a prime minister of india he did not have to go and do this right that he did it was very Absolutely. gracious yes. was very gracious of the prime minister and the main thing was that all those people who were busy appropriating mr shauri didn't even talk about his illness when he was ill after prime minister modi met mr shauri the only people i saw who were talking about shauri was people like you me all of us who have grown up reading mr shauri mm-hmm. so it almost feel like all those people <laughs> had had started and his new friends had abandoned you know him i think i think i think that's true i think the left uh, liberals might have already started thinking about uh, disowning mr shauri now no i mean they tried to do what they did with govindacharya na in the first term of mr vajpay uh, so so that's that's yes. the that's the sad part but that's 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 the, that is what it is um so that's that summarizes our discussion on this in the last part and uh i, I words fail me before beginning this part there were two instances of rape and one instance i mean both instances of rape and murder because the victim unfortunately died in both cases one was in hyderabad the other was in unnao uh the unnao case is separate i'm going to talk about the hyderabad case first because there was an encounter which was much discussed where all the four alleged rapists were um, killed uh as according to the police where they were taking them uh to the site to you know explain the crime scene and so forth um i'm not going to name the name of the victim uh although it had come out uh but uh you know we're keeping uh, it separate so we're just going to call her the doctor she uh, the case of the rape uh, the details of the case are there you know she was trying to you know seek help to get her scooter fixed but they punctured her tires and then there was a gruesome rape and they tried to cover her mouth and there was a murder that she was murdered um there and then they tried to run away but the police caught them um it shook everyone's conscience rightfully so um as a nation you know the indian diaspora everywhere outside of india wherever whoever had read but this is a sad reality of our times this one case was brought to light but there are so many other cases that are not being brought to light and you know what do we do so uh, i was speechless when i first heard it kishore what what was your reaction what is your take on this uh every every rape every gang rape is something that uh, needs to be condemned at the top of your voice mm-hmm. i think i think there's no uh, two thoughts about it but somehow only a few of them uh, captured the nation's attention and uh, sadly the hyderabad uh, uh, incident was one such 
it actually started reminding people of the horrific uh, uh, incident that happened in uh, New Delhi in 2012 yeah. and uh, people started uh, comparing the two incidents and how uh, how uh, these people uh, actually uh, committed those kind of uh, heinous crimes on the hapless lady so i think uh, i think the larger question again is Uh, about about the large number of uh, atrocities that keep happening but in terms of uh, this individual case i think uh, the uh, safety of the women uh, after dark especially when they are uh, returning back home or when they are actually uh, outside in a public place i think uh, this is of primary concern to everybody you me everybody included and we need to ensure that somehow uh women on the streets in public places need to have that kind of uh, safety and uh, there needs to be some kind of trust that uh, these women can actually trust people on the street until that happens india has a long way to go and, and, and you you bring a very important point uh, kishore ultimately ultimately that is the thing but you know what what do we tell like so then there were debates about the encounter and whether this should have been done because ultimately the, a lot of knee-jerk reactions happened with jay bachchan saying certain things in the parliament and you know so forth um right but so I, I, and all of us were like that we cannot like support vigilante justice and stuff like that true, so true. the report has to come out and uh, clearly you can't just you know welcome uh, uh, if if an encounter was warranted that's a whole different debate but if it was deliberate and you know uh, then you know, it raises a whole different question because where does where does one look, draw the line is this you know uh, is this going to be the way forward and stuff like that and right. there are many questions that the police needs to answer as well you know about the response times and stuff like that now um, but then there is another case also what happened in the unnao case and i know you want to talk about the specifics of the case but ultimately when we talk about two people being on bail and you know a, a victim set on fire right um, um one wonders what can one even say to the father right and the fa- the first reaction of the family was okay i want the same justice as what happened in hyderabad right so it it it, it there is this very thin line where uh, you know the state uh, uh, wants to you know has to say what they uh, uh, the state has to take a call on this uh yes i kind of agree when you look at it purely from a perspective of the uh, father of the hapless victim hmm. but fortunately or unfortunately i think we need to keep such people out of the uh, debate when such thing happens and i'll tell you the reason why yeah. uh a a uh, they would be extremely disturbed so i don't think they would be in a in a in a fit position to uh, weigh the merits and the demerits of the case two again uh, i want to bring you back to the case of the katwa uh, gang rape of the 8 year old girl uh, remember yes yes uh, the one that happened uh, earlier in the year earlier in the year i think uh, wherein one of the one of the accused uh, was actually uh, uh, let out on bail especially uh, uh, primarily because he was not even at the uh, incident he was not even at the place of the uh, uh, crime committed mm-hmm. so i think uh, vigilante justice can only go so far wherein um, it, it, it will not allow the accused uh, an opportunity to actually 
claim his innocence mm. and also prove his innocence. So again, it comes back to the same point. We have to ensure that speedy justice will be delivered and the police will have to ensure that that happens and hand over the case to the judiciary. But then the larger question is, is judiciary willing to take up the burden on itself you know, and, and not wait for... And ultimately, uh, and I was mm-hmm. just looking at the time, we are almost nearing an hour in the podcast. Oh, okay. so 45 minutes, so we have to wrap up soon. But ultimately, I think the reactions that you saw on Twitter, social media, Facebook was a searing indictment of how the system has worked. The system has not worked. You know, um, uh, uh, the Unnao victim was following the system, right? One could say. So, and uh, uh, by going to the cops and stuff, but then you cannot, uh, the, the whole burning thing happens. And, you know, how does one, uh, you know, react to that? Will the system continue protecting powerful people? One doesn't know. Again, 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 uh, highlights the fact that the powerful always uh, have friends in the judiciary uh, to to be uh, let out on bail and then are free to do whatever they want to do, even breaking the law. So I think, yes, you bring out a valid point. The nexus between the powerful and the judiciary will also have to be broken. And yeah. only that will ensure that such things, such uh, incidences yeah. and, do not and, continue and, and happening. And, and that's what I say, people, that, you know, don't just say that, oh, there are people who are uh, saying that, you know, the encounter happened at Chakia. Just dismiss that. That doesn't come from a sense of sort of a, that this vicarious pleasure seeing an encounter being done. That comes from a sense of helplessness that this is probably, in their mind, this is the only way that justice is going to be served. Now, one may disagree with that, one may debate with that, but the state has to ensure that it can deliver on you know this it can deliver on its promise of justice only then will people stop believing in mob justice it has to be a two-pronged approach you can't just tell people that oh trust us but then we'll do deliver justice 10 years later you know? 10 years is too far a time i think yeah i think uh, the government is now looking at some kind of a fast track court mechanism i think it's already there people have already spoken about it somehow it has not worked the way it should. Uh, again, a new effort is being made. We can only hope that that uh, sees uh, some kind of uh, fruition and traction to take care of such cases. Certainly, certainly. Uh, before we let you go, Kishore, because we are flatly running out of time. I know we promised to discuss things in a lot more detail, but um, we are running out of time. So any recommendations you have for our listeners? Uh, yes, I would recommend a, a video debate, a debate on uh, Raja Sabha TV. Raja Sabha TV is my favorite when it comes to uh, televised debates. And one such debate on the Citizenship Amendment Bill, mm. uh, where uh, our good friend uh, Jay Saidipak was actually one of the panelists. Yes. And, and he explained the intricacies of the yes. uh, Citizenship Amendment Bill. So you can uh, look for that on YouTube and that was a must watch if you are keenly following this issue. Absolutely, absolutely. It's a terrific intervention. Do, and JSI Deepak has been on, you know, my podcast, is a good friend of ours, has fascinating takes on issues. So do watch that, absolutely. Um, so that's my pers- my uh, recommendation is going to be uh, uh, since since uh, the, it's a, it's a it's an interesting recommendation considering what is going on in the world right now. First is a movie called The Report on Amazon Prime that I saw. It's a movie basically on how 
the USA uh, documents about the CIA's methods of torture uh, came out into public because of the uh, actions of one Senate staffer on uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein's staff. And Senator, Di uh, Senator Feinstein and Senator John McCain, a Democrat and a Republican, co-sponsored, you know, uh, like, as in, they talked about this report together and, you know, uh, 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 got a lot of action done. But, uh, you know, what is interesting, Kishore, is the, the full report never came out. The executive summary of it came out. That staffer and his team analyzed 6.3 million pages of documents. Like... That's quite a lot. <laughs> yeah, you just get, I mean, I was shocked. I mean, you have to see the movie to believe it. And the executive summary alone was 500 pages long. Wow. It is wow. a stunning movie. It's about less than two hours, a shade under two hours. It's on Amazon Prime. Do watch it. Um, I think it's a it's a it's a terrific uh, sort of uh, movie. And the second is an uh, uh, investigative piece that I uh, not an investigative actually. Uh, I, I won't. I right now I'm going to uh, recommend. I was going to recommend something else, but this this is what I want to do. Um, it is a New York Times piece. Uh, now I know New York Times. I have had many disagreements with their political coverage. It was a non-political piece about uh, lovers who were separated in a Nazi camp and in Auschwitz and met 72 years later. It's a beautiful piece. Do read it. Uh, two completely polar opposite things. One will make your heart warm. The other is probably going to, you know, uh, give you goosebumps looking at how bad it was. But both you must do. Um, but thank you again, Kishore, for joining us on Mind Podcast. Always a pleasure. Uh, maybe we'll have a non-Karnataka discussion with you also. Uh, otherwise, our listeners will say, bhai, Karnataka hota hai, phiri usko bulate ho. We'll have a discussion on non-Karnataka issues also. I would love to. I would love to. Uh, Thanks. But, but you still have to feed me uh, dosas. Even when we do that. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so, much more than dosa. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Kishore, for joining in. And we'll be back next week, guys. Uh, thank you for tuning in.